Good morning, church family. My name is Christina. Danny and I are part of the Carlswell North Lifestyle Estate Life Group, and it's a joy to serve you this morning. Our Bible reading is taken from Psalm 107. That is Psalm 107. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness, and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, for he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in the evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' ends. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, 
and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low, through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This is the word of God. Good morning, family. It is good, as always, to be together this morning and to to come and hear from God's Word. It's good for me uh, to open God's Word uh, to you. Uh, as you heard, we are in Psalm 107. I do hope that you have it open before you. It will be really helpful to me if you have that passage open to you, uh, in front of you, that is. Now, just to let you know, if you are new here, uh, my name is Reggie, and I am... Um, I used to say I'm, I'm the young adult pastor here at Christ Church Midrand. Um, but Black is now actually the, the young adult pastor, as you heard last week. Uh, I am preparing to plant very soon. Um, so yeah, I am the planter here at Christ Church Midrand, in one sense. I can use that. If you join us for the very first time, we're glad that you've decided to join us. Uh, we, last week we began a new series in uh, the book of Psalms. And uh, this series is titled Songs of the Redeemed. The sermon last week was from Psalm 90, which begins book four. And I titled that sermon, A Song for the Homesick. Today we are in Psalm 107, which begins uh, book five. And this sermon is titled A Song for the Redeemed, very much like the title of our series. If I was Martin, I would say now, if your baby gives you any trouble... I think you guys know the rest of how that goes. But in Psalm 107, a a, a sermon titled, A Song for the Redeemed. How about I pray for us as we come to God's word. Father, we pray that this morning we would yet again see your great love for us in Jesus. And that as your redeemed family, we would truly begin to live for you in word and in deed. In Jesus' name, amen. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite heroes, now you can say heroine, is a lady by the name Harriet Tubman. She is a courageous and audacious emancipator. If you know her life, Minty, as she was affectionately known by others, was actually someone who was a slave, who ran away from slavery, from the slave plantation that she was in, all alone using the underground railroads during that time. She ran her way to freedom. Now, this is not what sets her out. 
during that time. This is not the feat that makes us stand tall and above the slave plantation years of the 19th century. Rather, it is the 13 trips that she took and some back to the very same slave plantation she was in to rescue others from slavery, to rescue others who were bound, in, in a sense, in chains. She's said to have rescued around 70 people during that time. But later on, during the civil years, she would then become a nurse and a scout and lead a group of people who were former slaves to rescue as many as 750 people. A lot of people that she did. People who, in one sense, if we use the language of our text to describe them, were people who were prisoners, people who faced death or who had death as being in their shadows, people who were lost, people who had no home or city of their own, a city to dwell in. See, so great was her work and her life and what she did, her story of redemption, that she was often called Moses. Most of the people whom she rescued or redeemed showed such gratefulness for what she had done for them that some of them even joined her to rescue others. They showed gratefulness for what she had done for them. Now in the past century, there is another story like it in the 20th century. Another story like it of another one of my heroes who in his own way is courageous and audacious. This is British banker turned humanitarian, Sir Nicholas Winton. See, he started uh, Nicholas. I hope you don't mind me if I don't say sir, especially the British people in the audience. Nicholas established an organization that championed the rescue of mostly Jewish children from Czechoslovakia who were under the threat of Hitler's Nazi death, death camps. They were rescued on the eve of World War II and brought to British foster families who looked after them. Kids who, if we use the language of our text in the same way, had no home. They were near death. Now, the staggering thing about this amazing story of redemption is that it only truly became public knowledge around 50 years later, maybe owing in one sense to the kind of man that Nicholas was. See, his wife found a scrapbook that had all the names and photos of the children that had been rescued and gave it to a researcher who was doing work on the Holocaust. And this researcher then made this work public. You can go to YouTube, actually, and find a video uh, from a show called That's Life, where all of these people have been brought into one room. They're sitting sitting together there, and they've met for the very first time. And what you see is all of them, one by one, beginning with the two ladies that are sitting right next to him, begin telling him how grateful they are. Nicholas has no idea what is happening at this very moment. And the host of the show then says, would all the people who have been rescued by Nicholas, by his supervision of this organization, would they all stand? And everyone in the room stands and applauds him and shows how grateful they are for the redemption that they received. Now, there is a a, a wonderful movie of of, of Harriet's life that you can watch that's on DSTV at the moment. And there's a movie that's coming on the life of Nicholas very soon as well. But here's the thing. I love both of these people. Consider them heroes. 
But as great as their stories are, their stories of redemption are but a glimpse of what God does in his redemption of humanity. They are a glimpse of what God does for you and me in redeeming us through Jesus. And you see, if those very people showed such great, such immense gratitude for their redemption, how much more should the people whom God has rescued? Now, I'm sure you would agree with me that it is much more. It should be much more. And this psalm here, Psalm 107, and actually the whole of Book 5, is uh, are psalms of celebration, are psalms that give thanks to God in one sense for his redemption, for the work that he has done. And so as we turn to our passage today, we will realize that this psalm and this book calls us to give thanks to God for his work of redemption. And today as we go through our sermon, Rafa, you'll be happy to know that I have three points. And the three points are actually from the language of the text. And here are the three points. The very first one is say so. The second is saved. And the third is consider. Let me say them again. First one, say so. Second, saved. And third, consider. Let's start with our very first point. And for that, we'll read verse 1 to 3. Say so. Let's read together. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Now, I'm sure you notice with me that this psalm begins with a mood of celebration or jubilation. It begins with a mood of celebration. There's a party in one sense. And this is actually the mood of the entire book. See, as you read through the psalms, this is what many have said. When you read through the psalms, you you realize that at the beginning, they start with lament and petitions and end with praise. Book one to book four, mostly is characterized by lament and petition. Petition, making requests to God. But as soon as we get here, you see praise. I love what commentator says. He says, what you see in the psalm, this move, this change, this shape, he says, is from hurt to joy. It is from death to life. And in one sense, you see some of this move, some of this shape in some of the psalms that you read in the Bible. But more importantly, this shape actually characterizes what the life of faith is. It characterizes what the life of Christians look like. Christians, in one sense, should always be moving from lament and petition, which are good things, by the way, towards praise. Christians should always move from lament and petition towards praise. But if you are anything like me, at this moment, as you look at the brokenness that we see in our world, you are probably spending a lot of time lamenting. You are lamenting, you are crying out to God because of the brokenness we see in our world. COVID has taken the lives of many, not just the lives of many, but it has also taken the livelihoods of many. Businesses have collapsed, and we've seen so many other things that happen in our world. And so as his people, as the people of God, we lament and cry out to God. So how then do we move to praise as this book and this psalm calls us to? Well, I want you to notice 
what verse 1 and 2 tell us, especially verse 1. The people of God, his redeemed people, are able to move from lament and petition towards praise because of God's goodness, because of the steadfast love of the Lord. And you see that phrase there, steadfast love, is actually talking about, if you notice, it's mentioned in verse 1, but it's also mentioned in verse 43. That phrase there is talking about God's kindness, his rich mercies towards us. So this phrase here is talking about God's kind disposition towards us all the time, regardless of our own disposition towards him. See, God never ceases to be loving, kind, merciful, and good. God's love is unending. See, it is within God's nature to be extravagant with his love, to be extravagant with his goodness. God's love is like the bottomless coffee or ginger beer drink at Mug and Bean. It never runs out. It never runs out. And God is extravagant with his love. If there's one thing that never changes, if there's one thing that remains, it is this. It is God's love which is unchanging. His mercy, his goodness, his kindness endures forever because God himself is eternal. Coriton Boom says this, there is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. There is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. And the hymn writer says to us, oh, the deep Deep love of God, vast, unmeasured, boundless and free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me, underneath me, all around me is the current of your love, leading onward, leading homeward to your glorious rest. Utando luake, lungi zungezile, ngapambili, nasemova, wabega isanja sake, See, as you read this book, you see so clearly the love of God and how, how his love is boundless, how his love never ends. Psalm 108 verse 4 says this, for great, is the, for great is your love, higher than the heavens. And Psalm 136, if you read it, it sounds like a broken record. It sounds like the psalm is stuck on loop. Because there's one phrase that the author repeats over and again. A phrase that we actually repeated, repeated in one of the songs that we sang. And this is the phrase, his steadfast love endures forever. See, when the psalmist, or actually when the people who stood in front of the, the church or the congregation, God's people then, when they stood and read that psalm, the first part of it would have been a call. And they would have expected the people of God to respond with the words, his steadfast love endures forever. So if you are able to turn to one, to Psalm 136, and we will do that very thing right now. I'll read the first part of it, and I'll ask you to respond with, His steadfast love endures forever. If you've got it, you've already heard the phrase for me if you don't have it, so you know how to respond. This is how, this is what Psalm 136 says. Give thanks to the Lord for His good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. 
I'm sure you get, you get the point. His steadfast love endures forever. His love is unending. There is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. But you see, God's goodness is meant to prompt thanksgiving. See, it is inevitable that, that all, that anyone who has experienced the love of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, will say so. See, with their lives, they will tell. They will tell the stories of God's love. They will tell the story of how God has redeemed them. They will give thanks to him. In other words, grace leads to gratitude. Mercy leads to magnification. I'll say that again. Grace leads to gratitude and mercy leads to magnification. If there is no gratitude or magnification in your own life, then you've got to wonder, you've got to ponder whether you have been marinating, whether you have soaked yourself in the love of God so that it is all around you, underneath you, and leads you to say so. In the words of Asis Brow, this is what he says, the more we understand how kind God has been to us, and the more we are overwhelmed by his mercy, the more we will give thanks to him. In word and in deed, the life of faith is marked by gratitude and magnification. The life of faith is marked by giving thanks to God because of his love. Those who have experienced the love of God will say so. Those who are redeemed, who have been set free by him, will say so. And this is exactly what the Israelites do when they are back in the land. In Ezra 3, verse 11, we're told they are gathered and they sing together and they tell of God's story of redemption. As Jeremiah had said it would happen before. They say so. They tell of God's love. Now this here is a good way to lead us into our second point, where we see how God proves his love. God demonstrates his love towards them by rescuing them and saving them from the exile, which is actually a shadow of what God does for you and me in Jesus. So let's go to our very second point, saved, verse 4 to verse 42. Our very first point was say so. Our second point is saved from verse 4 to verse 42. Now that very section is very lengthy, so you'll be glad to know that we won't read it uh, right now. It was read to us a little bit earlier, so we'll just keep making references to it. And here's why. In this section, especially verse 4 to verse 32, the author actually tells us four stories, four stories that he uses to tell one big story. See, he uses four pictures that tell us of different experiences and he puts them together, the psalmist, to explain what God has just done for the Israelites, to explain what God has done in redeeming them from exile. It is as though you are watching one of the Avengers movies or some of the Avengers movies. You've watched them and you've seen people being redeemed and at the very end you realize that these movies are telling you one big story. Now I'm going to ask the Gen X and the Gen Y in the room to explain what their Avengers are to some of our lovely older generation. 
But this is what you see. He uses different stories to tell one big story. But this is what you, this is what we're meant to get from here. There's only one hero in this story. Or staring, if you like. Some of you got that. There's only one hero here in all of these stories. There's only one hero who redeems and saves God's people. And it is God. Notice verse 7. He led them. Now verse 14. He brought them. Verse 20. He sent out his word, verse 29. He made the storm be still. You you see that repeated refrain? God is the hero. He is the one who out of the abundance of his love saves his people. And it is worthwhile for us to notice that none of these people could actually save themselves. None of them could save themselves. God is the one who comes to their rescue. But it is good at this point to actually look at those four experiences, those four groups of people, and to see how the author, the psalmist, uses those four experiences to explain what God has done for the Israelites. Let me give you the groups as we go through the passage. Here's the first group from verse 4 to verse 9. You can call them the wanderers. Notice that these wanderers are in a desert land or a desert wasteland. They have no city or home to call their own. They are hungry, they are thirsty, and they are in distress. Now immediately, the people that you and I think of when we read that very passage is the Exodus generation. That's what you get. You get echoes of that. You think of the Exodus generation, who in one sense this seems to describe very well. But that's not what the the author is necessarily saying. That's not what the psalmist is saying here. I love what one commentator says. Listen to these words. The psalmist is using colors from a palette. A palette is the board with different colors. The psalmist is using colors from a palette of past historical from a palette of past historical eras to paint a picture for another era. I'll read it again. The psalmist is using colors from the palette of past historical eras to paint a picture of another era. So basically he's using stories in the past that you and I think of, that it echoes back to, but to explain this very generation. So in fact, what the psalmist is saying here to this generation that has returned from, from exile is this. You, you, you were the wanderer. You were the one who had no city. You were the one who was hungry, who was thirsty and faint. But God saved you. God saved you from your wandering. Now the second group from verse 10 to verse 16, we could call them the prisoners. They are in darkness the shadow of death, and they're suffering in chains. And the generation that you think of again would be the Israelites while they're in Egypt. It makes sense that you would think of of them as being the one that the author is describing here, but he's using that story to explain who this generation is. So in one sense, he's saying to them, you were in utter darkness, but God saved you. The third group that he talks about is a group that was sick due to their rebellion. And this is verse 17 to verse 22. And there's so many stories, again, that you can think of here. But perhaps the Exodus generation, again, comes to mind. 
You think of Numbers 21, where they're beaten by a snake and they're sick in one sense. And God sends a word. He sends Moses to tell them to look at a staff so that they're healed. You would think of that story. But the author uses that story to say, actually, you are the ones who were sick. You are the ones who were near the gates of death because of your foolishness. But God saved you. The fourth group. The fourth group is the sailors. And there are a number of echoes there that you see. The sailors and the sheep being tossed from one side to to the other. You think of the story of Jonah. Or when you see there the language of the sea being calmed or the sea being stilled, you think of the Exodus generation and God splitting the waters, the two bodies of waters, to get them to the promised land. Or perhaps you can go as far back as Genesis. By the way, we're doing a series in Genesis that David is leading us through in the evening. I'd encourage you to go and listen to that. And in Genesis, what we see is God splits the waters in order to create a land, a home that his people can dwell in. Perhaps you think of that. But what the author is saying here is, you were the ones who thought of yourself as being self-reliant, like these sailors of, of businessmen, but you were overwhelmed by your own circumstances. But God saved you. So over and again, you could not save yourself, but God saved you. This is who you were, but this is what God has done for you. And you come to the New Testament, that's what the gospel is explained as. This is who you were, and this is what God has done. Paul over and again tells people, this is who you were, but this is what God has done. God saved them out of the abundance of his love. He satisfied their longing souls with good things, verse 9. He shattered the doors and the bars of, of the prison. God is the original prison break. Verse 16, he healed them by the power of his word. Verse 20, he made the storm quiet. Verse 20, God saved you out of exile. God saved you when you could not save yourself. The only thing that these people could do was cry out to God in their distress. And that's a phrase, again, you see repeated over and again. They could not save themselves, and so they cried out to God in their distress. And he heard them and saved them. It seems perhaps the old saying is true, that one has to get to the end of themselves, to the end of their strength and resources, to realize their desperate need for God, to realize their desperate need to turn to him, to cry out to him who hears and helps. And then from verse 33 to verse 42, we are told that there are some who actually did not turn to God and that God does not deal with them as he did, as he does with those who are needy. He does not deal with them with the same kindness. But that very same verse says to the Israelites, the exile you went to, you went there because of God. And when you cried out to him, he rescued you. And so as the people of God sang this very psalm, they would have been reminded of how God saved them when they couldn't save themselves. They would have been reminded of God's great victory. But, but, even this great redemption from exile, like the Exodus, is a shadow. It is but a glimpse of what God does for humanity in Jesus. 
Listen to what this commentator says. The grace we see here prepares us to understand its ex- prepares us to understand its expression and fulfillment in Christ, by whom God has once and for all answered the cry of the needy. See, the steadfast love of the Lord becomes flesh and blood reality before our very eyes in the crucified and risen Savior. See, this story is a shadow in one sense. That's pointing to what God would do for all humanity, for all of us in Jesus. And God does that. God does that for you and me. And actually, God has done that for us. We are the ones who were the wanderers, the ones who were prisoners in darkness, the ones who were sin sick and needy, the ones who were foolishly self-reliant, but have been saved through Jesus Christ. Paul in one in Colossians 1 says this in verse 14. God has saved you from the tyrannical authority of darkness and has changed us so as to bring us under the rightful rulership of his blessed son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And we who were once exiled from God, he has now brought near, he has brought home to be with him. This psalm is our song. This psalm is our song as a redeemed family. It reminds us that God in his love has saved us. And so we can say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wrench like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. My chains are gone. I have been set free. Oh, unending love. Unending love. Amazing grace. This is our song. It reminds us of how God has saved us. Third and last point, which will be the shortest of them all. First point, say so. Second point is saved. Now, our third point is consider, and we will look at verse 43. Verse 43 says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Consider. Pay attention to. Meditate. Take to heart the kindness the goodness, the mercy of God towards you in Christ Jesus. Now, how does that look like? How does it look like for us to consider, to meditate on God's love? Well, one, we can see clearly from the psalm, it means we give thanks. It means with our lives, our lives must truly show that we're giving thanks to God. Our lives must say so. Our lives must show that we have been redeemed by God and that we have experienced his love. See, our lives must be marked by gratitude and magnification. Psalm 119, with my lips I praise or I declare your word, your love, and I store it up in my heart so that it becomes the light to my path. Word and deed. So my question today is, are we known as people who say so? Could the people in your office, your friends, 
your colleague, your, 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 your neighbors, could they know you as someone who says so? Could they say, as Romans tell, says to us, could they consider you as someone who has beautiful feet because you bring good news? Is that, is what, is that what they could say marks your life? I think this is something for us to consider. And if that's not the case, then we need to consider the love of God once again. So we begin to live in this way. And our lives marked by gratitude and magnification, our daily lives, the way we live, are our lives like that? Or as Paul says, again in Romans, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Is that what your life is marked by? Is that what our life is marked by? Could we say we have presented our bodies, our life as a living sacrifice to God? If not, we need to once again consider his love. But some of us here today, if we are honest, doesn't matter how much we hear that God's love for us is unending. Doesn't matter how much we hear of God's great love towards us. It does nothing for us. We've grown cold towards that. It has no effect on our souls and our lives. We've become cold to his love. And so it has not changed our lives. And, and we're not really even concerned about saying so. But living out this gospel and sharing it. And if that's where you are today, can I, cons- can I ask you to consider marveling, beholding, as we're saying, at the love that God has shown you in Jesus. Remember, there is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. That's the first thing, we will give thanks. The second is that when we cry out, when we lament, we will do it with hope. So when we cry out to God, even in the brokenness of our world, we will cry out to God in hope because we know of his goodness. We know that he redeems. We know he saved us in Jesus and we still struggle with the brokenness of this world at this moment. But as we await the final day when he will return, as we cry out to him, we will cry out to him knowing that he will redeem. We will yet, as Psalm 42 and 43 says, we will yet praise him. We will wait on him. We will wait on him because we have tasted his goodness and his mercy and kindness. So as his redeemed family, I plea with you, as we lament, let us wait for the Lord as the watchman waits for the morning. Let us wait for the Lord, awaiting his return when he will fully restore all of creation. Let us consider his love. But if you're not a Christian here this morning, let me close with these words. The same love that God, the same love that God has given to us or those who have come to know him, he offers it to you today as well. And the only thing that he requires of you is not seed money. We don't do that here. Well, it should have been done anyway. He doesn't require seed money. All he requires is for you to cry out to him and acknowledge your need for him. There is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. Let me pray for us. 
Father, we pray that this morning as we have marveled, as we have come to hear of your great love for us, your great love displayed in Jesus, the true exodus, the one who takes us out of our exile of sin. We pray that that very love would stir our hearts to live for you. It will stir our hearts so that our lives are marked by gratitude and magnification. And we pray that that very same love would remind us that we can come to you and cry out to you even in the difficulty and the brokenness of this world with the hope that you will redeem. If not in this age, in this time, when Jesus comes back to restore his kingdom. We pray for any who have not experienced this love this morning, that, Lord, you would cause them to go past their own self-reliance. Lord, bring them to a place where they're at the end of their strength. They are at their wit's end, as the psalmist says, so that they turn to you. And this we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Great family, I do hope that in the coming week, as you go back to work, wherever you are, that the love of God that he has shown us in Jesus will be a great anchor to your soul. A few things to just uh, mention as we leave. First, uh, Black mentioned the financial report. It's going to happen straight after the service next week, so please consider sticking around for that after the service next week. Stick around to hear that financial report. And if you need any prayers, please stay in your seat. There'll be someone from our staff team or from the church here who will come to pray with you. And let's consider social distancing as we walk out. And lastly, there are the pillars outside where you can be able to get the details to give to the work here at Christ Church Midrand. Have a good week and be anchored in God's love for you. Amen.